Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. What could be Hi, hello, how are you? It's Daryl, and welcome to another episode of Cage Rage and Nicholas Cage Podcast. Now let's get brass tacks out of the way straight up here. Did you hear that intro? How good is that? It's so good. Um, I want to give a massive shout out to Petros over at the Caged In Podcast, who has um, well and truly hooked up your boy with an incredible introduction. Um, very, very generous of him to sort of go out of his way to do that. Massive thanks again to Petros. Please go and check out the Caged In podcast uh, on their own journey to their own level of true Cage Nirvana and check them out on all those various social medias at Caged In Pod. Get on some great guests each and every week and discuss the Cage films in all of their cagey glory. Uh, one of my favourite podcasts please go and check him out and say hi over at Caged In Pod. Um, but moving on to this week, this week I am joined on the journey to true Cage Nirvana by a comedian and YouTube personality, Danny Hyde of Danny Hyde TV. He's very kindly taken some time out of his schedule of, uh, well, shall we say, reviewing some very adult <laughs> items, um and taking down landlords, amongst other things, to come and join me and chat about all things Snake Eyes. Uh, now, Danny, by his own admission, not the biggest Cage fan or knowledgeable of the man himself, but that's fine, we talk all about that. We talk about Nicolas Cage, we chat about his work, uh, we chat a bit about Glastonbury as well, where um, Danny Hyde is both from and Nicolas Cage is live, and we get some fantastic revelations about daytime TV and uh, Danny Hyde's life as well, not to mention, of course, Snake Eyes. Had a lot of fun recording this one. I think you're going to enjoy it too. So without further ado, let's get in to this week's episode of Cage Rage, a Nicolas Cage podcast. Enjoy. So we go to Snake Eyes this week. Snake Eyes It sees Nicolas Cage starring as Rick Santoro, a corrupt cop who never plays by the rules, a.k.a. the best kind. At a boxing match with his old friend, the Navy commander Kevin Dunn, they witness a terrorist assassinate the Secretary of Defense. And suddenly, Rick is entwined in a much larger and shocking conspiracy involving boxing rivals and a beautiful stranger. So is this film a full house or is it just the snake eyes? Helping me get to the bottom of this is comedian and bloody YouTube sensation, Danny Hyde. Welcome, and thank you for joining me on the journey to true Cage Nirvana. Danny, how are you today? I am fantastic. Hello, Daryl. How you doing, man? I'm really well, thank you for asking. So, obviously, thank you for joining me on this Uh Danny Hyde, if you don't know, got a fantastic YouTube channel, Danny Hyde TV. Uh, we were just chatting about this off camera um, because we've both had our little stints on TV. I've been on Bargain Hunt. Danny Hyde has been on Judge Rinder. Um, and together, we're going to put our very <laughs> limited TV expertise into getting to uh, the bottom of this absolute... What show uh, is better, though? Which what show is- would you say? Better, Bargain Hunt or Judge Rinder? That's a good question. I mean, if both of them have their own levels of drama and you've been in a courtroom, I've been in an auction room, we've both been in a room where we've been judged by older men. <laughs> um, <laughs> they both come with their own levels of tension. I mean... They could do... They, there's got to be a way for them to cross over. Like, a, uh, I don't know, Judge Rinder is the bargain hunter. Like geezer. <laughs> you make him sound like Judge Dredd, but really boring. <laughs> I mean, I'd love to see that happen, though. It'd just have to involve some kind of crime conspiracy in a in 
in bargain hunt that Judge Brenda has to get to the bottom of. That'd be that'd be incredible television. So, so did you watch Bargain Hunt before you went on it? Were you like a big fan and it was like a dream come true? Or like me with Judge Rinda, you'd never even seen the programme and next thing you're on it. <laughs> <laughs> um, I wish it was as easy as that someone gave me the corner like, Daryl, we've got a great episode lined up for you. But um, me and my friend TJ, uh, we just had a few drinks one night and thought, you know what, let's apply for Bargain Hunt and that'll be a right laugh. And then... Mm-hmm. Uh, then we get a call to say, coming in for an audition, get the audition, and then uh, they're told the one apiece of uh, this absolute sweet boy action. Next thing you know, I'm celebrating a minus £19 win in front of 2 million people on BBC whilst getting absolutely trashed on Twitter. Couldn't have asked for a better it outcome. Glorious. It was glorious, I must say. Did you get, did you get to keep anything from Judge Rinder? Because I got to keep the bargain hunt jacket, and I did also steal a pen, uh, labelled bargain courtesy of the BBC and I don't regret it for a second nice I got £9.99 that's all right <laughs> <laughs> that's what I was awarded second lowest in Judge Rinder history <laughs> at least you made a profit though <laughs> yeah and for an all uh, you can have an exclusive which uh, technically is illegal it was all bullshit I made the whole story up, and if they find it out, they'll sue me. So that's a little exclusive. <laughs> well, there you have it. If you listen to nothing else of this episode, Judge Render is an absolute bullshit con artist. You heard it here <laughs> on Cage Rage and Nicholas Cage podcast. You see, this yeah. is what happens when we're guided by Nicholas Cage. We, uh, it's not just Cage films. He shines a light on so much else, and that's what I wake up in the morning for. Can I tell you something, Daryl, before we get into this whole cage business? Oh, please. Do you know, do you know Nicolas Cage, yeah? I, I know him quite well. Uh, do you know he lives down the road from me? This is actually something I wanted to bring up with you. Um, for those who don't know, Danny Hyde is based in Glastonbury. Um, and just like Bigfoot, Nicolas Cage has been known to make a few rare sightings. And now you're telling me... He lives within walking distance of you. He lives four miles down the road from me. I've seen him in the local kebab shop. Well, walking past it, he weren't actually getting a kebab, but like, <laughs> I'm not even joking. Danny, don't tell me stuff like this because I'll be on the first fucking megabus to Glastonbury, I swear to God. I can point his fucking house out for you, Daryl. <sighs> exclusive after exclusive. I can't believe this. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's it's a it's a big house, so you can't miss it. It's like on a hill, and uh, yeah, if you want to come down visit one day, we can go and like linger outside his house for a bit if you want. <laughs> I like all jokes aside, I would genuinely love nothing more than to linger outside Nicholas Cage's house. I've often wondered, you know, if if I saw him, I don't know how I'd react because you know you get there's clips of like. Yourself, yeah. I'd have to like, you know, out myself up because you get clips of say like, uh, like screaming like teenage girls in the 60s, just like crying and yelling about the Beatles going on stage or just walking past. I think that would be the same for me. I think I'd just lose all sense of self. I think I'd just, I'd just drop. I just so see. Don't mind me asking, Daryl. Why, why the big boner for Nicolas Cage? Well, I'm not seeing it. Please enlighten me. Well, Danny, I'm glad you asked. And if I need to turn you around, if by the end of this podcast you are not a Nicolas Cage fan, then I don't know that I've done my job. Quite well, frankly... After watching this film, mate, that, that I, I mean, fuck me, that was quite a, quite the experience, and I don't know if it's a good one. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, as far as I'm concerned, the man can never make a bad film. Even the films he actually disowns, I won't hear it. I won't stand for it. But I... This thing, when I talk about Nicolas Cage, there's like a lot of people who know me and they're like, I can't tell if you're being serious or not, or if this is some just giant long running joke that you're playing out. But genuinely, I firmly believe in my heart that he is the greatest actor of this generation. I think he's fantastic. I think for me, um, and I'd love to know your thoughts on the man as well, if you're a fan of him or not. But for me, he is a a great actor. We forget that he's, you know, an award-winning actor, 1995 Golden Globe and Academy Award Best Actor. 
uh, what a year. He didn't, win a, he didn't win an award for this film we watched today, did he? Uh, he actually he did. Um, no, fuck off, he, did he? He won <laughs> and, you know, obviously take this how you will, um, if you want to credit this one or not. He won the Blockbuster Award for Favourite Actor in a Suspense Film. So I'm going to give you a moment just to deal with that one. Yeah, let me just take that in. Uh, fuck. Well, <laughs> yeah. now, as it I mean, stands, I mean, the Blockbuster Awards only ran for about seven years, but it, uh, a very, very quick Google search informs me, and I've not done the research to back this up, so I'm going to take it as truth, uh, but a quick Google search tells me that apparently Nicolas Cage has won the most Blockbuster Entertainment Awards. So if that if that doesn't tell you his level, his calibre, his capability in the craft, uh, then I defy anyone to try and prove me wrong. And I don't think they okay. can do it. I'll give it a go. <laughs> <laughs> well, you walk, you're warming up to him, and I'm, and I'm, I'm glad to see it. But um, obviously leading on to that, you know, if you're not seeing it just yet, I'm interested to know what are your thoughts on, on the man, the myth, the cage, the legend himself, Glastonbury's own Nicolas Cage. What are my thoughts on him, yeah? Yes, please. Uh, bit of a cheesy geezer. Can't can't quite tell if he's middle-aged or young. I mean, sometimes he looks like he could be a granddad. Other times he looks like he's just got out of university. Maybe that's because I'm watching different films at different times. Yeah, that's probably that. Uh, Jumping yeah, through his timeline I mean, like a time traveller. He kind of plays the same character a lot of the times, like some cheesy ass cop who's got a you know trying to save a save a girl sort of thing that's the vibe i'm getting i've seen him in that film the rock where there's that green goo uh what else can i say about him that's about it that's all i've got the it internet sounds, loves it sounds him, like you're describing it? a nightmare yeah yeah well yeah pretty much i am <laughs> i mean the internet loves nicholas cage so i like he's on so many memes like like whack this face I mean, whack Nicolas Cage's face on this dinosaur. Do you know what I mean? He pops up and, and the internet seemed to love him. And I've never quite understood it. Uh, obviously, you've caught the Cage disease. Is that the right word? No, not, not disease. <laughs> In the bug, the Cage bug. But if you, word, it, if you want to call it a disease, <laughs> that's yeah, absolutely all right. like to do so. Well, something ain't right with it. If, 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 if you know, maybe you'll win me over, but I'm not. I'm not fully understanding this love for Cage. I've seen better acting. Uh, with the film that we're about to talk about, I have took down notes. I don't know if I was meant to do that. By all I've got means, four pages of notes here, uh, oh, I and that. I did circle one bit that said this was some fantastic acting. So yeah, he can act sometimes. <laughs> but we'll, we'll get into that when we discuss the actual film but yeah all in all i haven't really put much thought into nicholas cage if i'm honest well you know i often say three things are certain in life death taxes and nicholas cage uh because he's <laughs> he's been making movies longer than we've been alive i suspect after we both leave this mortal coil he will continue to make movies and i hope he does quite What's honestly his latest filming because i swear he's I haven't. I don't remember a late, late, late film with him in. I mean, he sort of like died out in the nineteen nineties, didn't he? Oh, have I got some news for you, Danny Hyde? Have I got some news for you? Right, he's, now, in, he's in the new Jurassic Park, is he? <laughs> I wish he was. He's actually playing a raptor in the new Jurassic Park. Um, <laughs> interestingly, you know, he's got over like a hundred and ten film credits to his name. Uh, very prolific throughout the nineties. And he's got a lot of stuff ends up straight on Netflix. Um, I nearly called it Netflix, then I'm not going to lie. Uh, but he's got a new film coming out at the time of recording, um, the end of November, called Jiu Jitsu, in which he plays. Um, well, from the trailer, he seems to play like a, a sort of a martial arts master. So he has to train the chosen Jiu Jitsus to fight this karate space alien. Um, now, the trailer's probably going to do it more justice than my description, because I also sound like I've just had a, like a fever-induced nightmare. 
but he's got a new horror film coming out next year called Willy's Wonderland. Uh, I don't know if you've seen like the uh, the game sort of Five Nights at Freddy's. Uh, it's effectively a bit similar to that where he just plays a character called the janitor and he fights these animatronic um, sort of circus creatures like a weasel and a gorilla, maybe a giraffe as well. There's definitely a cat in there. Okay. And, and he's got the one I'm looking forward to that's currently filming at the moment. Uh, there's a sort of an action comedy supposed to come out early next year called The Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent. And in a sort of being John Malkovich way, it's Nicolas Cage playing Nicolas Cage in a film about Nicolas Cage. Okay, so, yeah, I might watch that one, maybe. <laughs> I know you're going to watch it. <laughs> I don't have a choice. I'm, I'm 20 plus weeks into this thing. I've, I've made a long commitment to, the, to this man. But you must, you must be running out of Nicolas Cage films. Uh, I mean, at, again, at the time of recording, I and this film from 1998, I've still got 1999 onwards. So I've got about a year and a half left of films. Uh, and hopefully at that time, he'll still keep making more and more as well. So um, I'm good, providing that coronavirus doesn't take me or natural causes, don't just kick me off. Um, you know, my life's work <laughs> isn't done just yet. <laughs> and I'm very excited. Okay, so... So, uh, when do you want to get in talking about this Snake Eye film? Is that, is that, are we going to do that? Hey, we can get into it right now. I mean, now you've, yeah. you've, you've said that you've seen, I think you've seen a few films um, of the Cage Man. From what you can recall of his, his filmography that you've seen, um, where does Snake Eye stand for you? Is it one you'd recommend? Is it one you'd tell people to sort of miss? Uh, what, what are your initial thoughts having sort of freshly seen Snake Eyes? Well, I've only seen The Rock and Snake Eyes. Danny, uh, we need to have a Rock. long discussion about his filmography. I'm going to make you some recommendations when we finish this. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, I don't fucking know what he's in, to be honest. Uh, <laughs> like The Rock, the Rock I, I probably have seen other films with him in, but, but, but The Rock and this is all I've got to go by. And I must say, I mean, you're probably going to disagree with me here, but Snake Eyes was a steaming pile of shit. Now, <laughs> you, disagree. <laughs> you disagree, did you? You know what? I don't know if it was one of his his best. Um, oh, thanks for that. It had it had its moments, I thought, but considering Snake Eyes, he's come off the back of. Um, what I call like the the famous four cage films. So basically he had Leaving Las Vegas that he won the best actor award for. Then he had The Rock, Con Air and Face Off, which were just this incredible streak of films that he was on. Um, and then he had, it was a bit up and down between 98 and 2000. And then the 2000s are its own story. But at this point, it's sort of easy to lose track that Cage was a megastar. He was a... Uh, really big everyone wanted it in their films i've um talked about this a few times because there's a perception and you might have this as well of cage that he doesn't turn roles down or that he just gets given a script and is like yeah i'll have a bit of that um but i like to discuss these lesser known facts that there are roles that he actually turns down um i mean i don't know if you've seen for example like lord of the rings yeah i've seen that one yeah uh, well, did you know that he was very, very nearly cast as Aragorn? No, I did not know that. Uh, yeah, I mean, thank fuck he, he wasn't cast for that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, on the back of that, did you also know he was close to being cast as Shrek? Uh, no, you're, you're putting in my leg now. Oh, I, I no, obviously, yes. No, I was about to say he doesn't look anything like Shrek, but that, that was stupid because obviously it's just a voice, isn't it? <laughs> I mean, Mike Myers is famously a large green man. <laughs> yeah. No, okay. No, I didn't know that. Uh, no, he, he's got a 70s porn star vibe to him, Nicholas Cage. Do you see that? Or? I see that every day. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, definitely. Every time you close your eyes. <laughs> My, my last thought at night, my first thought in the morning, and every thought in between. I mean, especially in this film, though, uh, 
for the first 20, 30 minutes or so, he's got what I can only describe as an absolutely delightful pattern shirt on. This kind of snakeskin floral effort, um, charity shot vibes. And I was all over it. He gets it ruined with blood, doesn't he? Pretty early on, he has to get a change. He um, goes hunt, hunting down some money, gets some... I think he only puts it on because he basically gets forced to do his job that he takes the shirt off, which um, I really, really respect that. What I've done here, Daryl, so basically, because you told me to watch this film and then we're going to talk about it now, I haven't done this in school, but I, I took notes. So I was, <laughs> I was watching it and trying to take notes to this fucking film was quite the challenge. And all I ended up doing was basically writing a time a timeline of like what I'm seeing and I've got like the whole film done in a timeline. So the first thing I wrote was, why is this fucking called snake eyes? Uh, you know, is there going to be a snake with some eyes? <laughs> is it that literal or is there something else? And, and, and I couldn't work that out. The first thing I saw when I saw Nicholas Cage, I wrote, he's a cheesy geezer and I wanted to slap him after seven seconds. <laughs> that might be a new record actually. I mean, yeah. go, actually, going on what you said about Snake Eyes, when I was um, I was watching it in bed last night, and I was kind of wondering, all right, like at, at what point do they make a reference to the title? How does that uh, how does that tie in? But I suppose it's because it's um, set. It's in like the big boxing arena, but there's a casino next to it, and a few times there's uh, two different characters. It's Kevin Dunn and Rick Santoro. At different points, they say to each other, um, you know, you've got. You've got snake eyes, which is basically, from what I know about gambling, it's uh, like the worst thing you can roll, like the two ones on the dice, so the house wins. Um, so, okay, so I didn't know that. that. That's all. That makes a bit more sense now. I thought it was because when he was being a fucking bastard at the end, he had little <laughs> beady eyes, like a snake. Uh, <laughs> those are what I know. Little beady, little beady snake eyes. Well, I mean, fucking dodgy eyes. Well, I mean, if the twist had actually been that um, Kevin Dunn was a was actually a snake, then that would have taken this film in directions I never thought possible. I would have been all over that. Yeah, me too. I think that would have turned the film from a six to a seven out of ten. So- Unfortunately, <laughs> it's it's just a, it's a flat six for me. I mean, I know I'm going into it. You probably asked me that at the end, but I'm, I'm telling you now, I thought it was a six. <laughs> Maybe a five, it was pretty shit. So, um, if you say your rating was a six, the only thing that was lacking for you was the reveal of a snake man. Yes. I mean, I wanted to see <laughs> some snake eyes. Uh, I thought, you know, I wanted to see a fucking snake, basically. I didn't. <laughs> Uh, I was watching my girlfriend and she walked in halfway through and she was just like, and you say, oh, I watched some fucking shit. What is this? <laughs> <laughs> Even though I was doing the homework for your fucking podcast, though. <laughs> you should have said like, wait, with respect, this is work related, if you don't mind. Um, Derek, yeah. Derek, do you remember what scene she walks in on to just immediately say that this film was a steaming pile of shit? Uh, it was the bit where... So they're in, he, he's just seen the video footage camera and has realised that his mate is the bad guy. Right. And he stares at it and he's having a really bad time because it's his <laughs> mate. And then and then old sneaky silencer man comes up behind him with his sneaky silencer, that bit. Oh, yeah, so when he... When he um gets told that Kevin was sort of behind the whole thing and he watches the blimp cam. Yeah, that's the bit, yeah. And then he's uh, he's just really sad and then getting beaten up for the rest of the film. Yeah, and uh, that was the bit where I said he, he was a good acting when he just had the living fuck knocked out of him and he was wobbling about. I thought that was really convincing. I suspect on some level it's because you wish you were the boxer delivering those hammering blows to his ribs and face. Yeah, it was quite satisfying, actually. I did want to punch him a few times. Uh, (laughs) There's this bit where it zoomed in on his face where he's just being fucked up and he he looked like he'd just taken too much ketamine. He was just absolutely off his nut. I did enjoy that bit. So the Um, bits where he was in pain were highlights for you? 
Yeah, it makes me a cunt, really, but, you know, that's who I am. <laughs> um, there was lots of geezers getting distracted by tits in this film. I mean, I suppose that is yeah. quite, you know, a common thing, but that was a that was a reoccurring theme in this film. Oh, look at this geezer. He's distracted by those tits. Oh, look at these tits. He's distracted by those tits. Um, were you picking up on that? It's It's definitely the folly of man. I mean, when they get into the middle of the film where they're they have all these different flashbacks of the different characters just piecing together what was going on. And this is before we get the big reveal that um, that Kevin Dunn is the mastermind behind the conspiracy. Uh, he's chatting to Rick Santoro at ringside. He sees, he sees and makes a big deal about, um, and they keep telling us this mysterious, beautiful redhead's like, that can't be right. A woman at the boxing by herself. I'm going to have to investigate that. And I thought, well, I think... Anyone can enjoy the boxing. I don't know why we have to be so judgmental about it. Then he chases her off and we get his flashback where he just looks at her breasts for a bit. And then the Secretary of Defence gets uh, shot through the neck. So hang on, was that redhead in on it as well? Because, because surely she must have been in on it. Yes, she was. Um, so... Yeah. They said there was five people who was uh, behind the conspiracy. The... The redhead was one of them. Um, they had that drunk, like, hobo-looking guy who screamed, like, here comes the pain! He was in oh, on it. Uh, the terrorist who they had, who was actually working mm-hmm. with them, was in on it. Um, obviously, Kevin Dunn, and there was the fifth... So did that terrorist person. know he was going to get shot? <laughs> I suspect he didn't. Um, <laughs> I'm... I'm gonna suspect he didn't know. Um, he got I think. Mugged off then, didn't he? Well, I mean, I wouldn't like to be shot if I was part of a terrorist conspiracy, but someone's got yeah, to go you down. Can imagine him, imagine him round the table sorting out the plan and like, well, okay, you got to do that. You get your tits out. You, once you're done, you're gonna get shot four times. You can't imagine him being up for that. No, well, someone's got up all the short straw when it comes to terrorist conspiracies, but that's that's just the way it goes down. I mean, Who when were we them two geezers. You know, he went backstage and these two geezers, a blonde person and some other blonde person, and they were like, oh, what's going on here? And then old sneaky silencer man shot one of them. And then the other geezer looked at him and he was like, shit. And without, it it was such bad acting because he just kind of stood there. You would fucking shit your pants or run off or try something. So then silencer geezer shot him as well. And he just lied down and he just went, I've been shot. <laughs> like, casual as you fucking like. It was the most... Oh, I, I, I had to laugh out loud, man. I was like, what the fuck was that? Do you remember that bit? I, I do. And this... this um, that guy who gets shot was actually something I wanted to raise. Um, so that the guy who gets shot was the hobo who screams, here comes the pain. I think the blonde girl was, was actually the redhead. Um, oh, and so- Kevin Dunn has shot them because he's trying to tie up loose ends um, because now Rick Santoro's onto them and that wasn't supposed to happen. Um, but when he got shot, and I don't know if you noticed this well, so he shoots the woman first, she goes down, no questions asked. Then he shoots the guy and he does a 360 spin on the way to the ground. This absolute pirouette. And I thought that was one of the most fantastic deaths I've ever seen in any film in my life. I might have to rewatch it and see this spin. I didn't notice the spin. I just noticed his fucking reaction to just being shot. It was like, it was like, oh, I've got to watch it again, Daryl. I'm going back for more, <laughs> man. This is how Cage gets you. Sometimes you get these films, you can't believe what you're seeing. And this is how it works. Even though it's a film you admit didn't have enough snakes and you didn't like it, you want to watch it again. Well, uh, it's a bit strong to say I want to watch it again. I want to watch five seconds of it again. (laughs) (laughs) The bit bit where this fucking gets shot. It starts with five seconds, but you just wait and it'll be another two hours of your life gone. You wait, Um, Daryl. I'm going to go downstairs after this. My girlfriend's downstairs. I'm just going to casually sit next to her, get the controller and whack this fucking movie on again and see what she does. (laughs) Snake Eyes available on Now TV. Hashtag not an ad. Um, as we speak, um, what I 
I enjoyed as well. Obviously, we got that flashback with Kevin Dunn. Now, at this point, when we had his flashback, he was sort of explaining to Rick Santora where he was. But in the flashback, like he got distracted by the redhead. Then he heard the initial gunshots and just turned around and shot through a wall and a guy fell over. And I was like, hang on a minute. How did he know he was there? Until we found out, until we found out that he genuinely knew he was there the whole time. Um, I just thought, well, that's either this is the greatest naval officer in the world, or this guy's got a sixth sense for crime that cannot be topped. Um, genuinely remarkable scenes. Still, it's a bit of a risky move to shoot him through the wall. He could have just reached around the corner and just made sure and shot him right in the face. You would think he would have done that because, you know, I've watched enough episodes of The Bill and uh, police procedural dramas to know that they'll do the ballistics report, see, well, he's clearly been shot through the wall. There was no way he could have known he was there. But this is, this is yeah. the whole point. Their, their plan just comes crumbling down. It's all this convoluted plan that they, under the guise of the boxing match, they were going to get the Secretary of Defence there, and then they were going to shoot the Secretary of Defence so that their uh, budget wouldn't be stripped for their new military missiles. And I was I was trying to make heads or tails of that. I was like, surely, you know, any normal person, you just write him a letter, send him a tweet and say, you're acting like an absolute muppet, but... And they say this is supposed to be an easy plan. Now, I don't know about you, Danny, but this seems like a very round, long-winded way to um, get some missiles <laughs> launched off the ground. Yeah, yeah, they should have tweeted him, like you said. That's 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 like plan A, and then go like snake eyes plan B. You know. Well, you know, they definitely had snake eyes on their plan. Um, Rick Santoro as well who sort of kinds of get to the bottom of this for the first 20 minutes. Uh, I don't know if you noticed this as well. I think it's meant to see when we get into the stadium, like it's all been um, like the film's all been done in one shot. We're just following him speaking to the people who work and commentate the boxing match. And he sees the boxer backstage and then he's chasing that guy down for like $300 or something. All very stylish, but it's, there was so much energy in the first 20 minutes, that Nicolas Cage was like straight in at an 11 out of 10. And I was kind of thinking like, there's like an hour and a half left of this film. I'm going to need you just to dial it down to at least an eight. Mm. He, he was He's definitely on cocaine, 100%. He's Before definitely he that movie, Fat line, bang, I'm ready. He was... And just like people on cocaine, I wanted to slap him. Do you know what I mean? That's where I was getting that vibe. He was just, he just, blah, 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 wouldn't shut the fuck up. What's that, mate? He was giving you some big cocaine vibes straight off the bat. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I've seen a few fucking wankers on cocaine before, and he was, um, he was on it. Uh, and then, and then once everyone got shot, it all calmed down a bit, which is, well, no, did it calm down? No, it didn't. It fucking <laughs> it escalated. <laughs> yeah, you know, honestly, when, when I'm in a night out, what really takes the edge off for me is just shooting someone. Then it really calms down. Yeah. Well, sometimes you've done too much coke, you need someone to get shot to take your mind off it. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> take your mind off your heartbeat. <laughs> sometimes I just need the sweet release of the uh, of the gun trigger. And I can really start breathing again for you take it through the through the nostrils and out the mouth but <laughs> this this is what I mean like Rick he's you know he's not opposed to taking a bit of money taking a little handout here and there he's by all means he is a corrupt cop but it seems that um as I mentioned earlier it's really inconvenient for especially him that this guy gets shot and he then has to do his job as a detective. He has to change his shirt. He has to put a tie on. He has to start asking people questions. Every time he's presented with evidence, he doesn't like it. He's not interested in it. He just screams at people who are telling him the truth. I just feel like if this, if this was any other person being a cop, like why, why are you just refusing to, be, to accept evidence, man? Well, I didn't even know he was a cop for ages. I thought, why is he pretending to be a cop? And then I thought, oh, no, he actually he is a cop. 
But at first, I thought he was just a dodgy geezer sniffing loads of drugs, you know? <laughs> well, he is. Cage is a very notoriously and infamously a method actor, so it wouldn't surprise me if he'd inhaled something before those takes. Yeah, meth. <laughs> Cage still meth is what he's uh, what he's sniffing. But to be fair, he doesn't make it like abundantly clear at the start that he is a cop because I I just thought he was just some uh, one of those sort of like criminal kind of guys who's got like a big reputation. Um, it wasn't until like people get shot and he pulls the badge out and I'm like, oh right, so he he is actually a cop. He's just a fucking maniac to do it yeah. as well. well. He did have a gun all of a sudden, didn't he? Because you didn't know he was a cop, and then the boxer went down. All of a sudden, he's waving a gun about, and I'm like, all right, okay. But then I thought, we're in America. Everyone has guns. You ain't got to be a cop. You can just have a gun. So I thought that, you know, he still might not be a cop. Well, I, uh, again, I can't, I can't speak to how it works, but I'm sure there's a way that most people can get deputized in America. I'm sure, I'm sure, even like Steven Seagal, he's like a, a marshal or a sheriff or something in whatever town he presides over. Okay. Well, I mean, I'd like to see you, Sheriff, in Glastonbury. I think it's a full circle story for you. Yeah, Sheriff in Glastonbury. It's like proper hot fuzz around here, man. It's like the only crime you get is like some drunk geezer waving his knob about down the high street. That's about as bad as it gets. <laughs> the occasional penis flash, the occasional goose. Sometimes Nicholas Cage is in a kebab shop. There's never Piers Corbyn's brother was down the high street the other day giving it some giving it the vegan. That oh, was, was big he, news. Oh, was he uh, still talking about like 5G or whatever it was? Yeah, he's talking about that. And then I, I, I went down the high street when that was happening in that in a fucking giant condom outfit and there was all <laughs> protests going on and I they thought I was part of it. The police come up to me and they're like, Are you part of this protest? And like they didn't even like acknowledge that I'm wearing a giant rubber Johnny. <laughs> They're just like, you sir, are you part of this project? I was like, no, mate, I'm just going for a walk. <laughs> <laughs> like the the one place in the UK where a man in a giant Johnny is not out of place. Yeah. And maybe that makes me think I absolutely want to. I really yeah. want to. It makes me think maybe that's part of the reason why uh Cage is is attracted to a place like Glastonbury, because of it's it's got this history, it's got this sort of Obviously, this this colourful and wonderful um, vibe and um, sort of atmosphere to it. And Nicolas Cage, if there's one place in the UK he wouldn't be out of place, it's definitely Glastonbury. Well, Daryl, do you drive? No, I don't. Um, Nor do I. I was going to say, if you did, come down, we'll film a hunting for Nicolas Cage vlog and we'll go fucking find his house and like look <laughs> outside it. But... Neither of us drive, so unless we get like we hire a driver or ask somebody else, I mean, there's potential here, basically. Well, I'm going to get my people to talk to your people because this is absolutely happening. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you can come and stay at mine. We'll, we'll get a game plan, like we'll, we, you know, like we'll we'll talk. Uh, you know, what ifs? What if we bump into Nick and his cage? What are we going to do? You know, you can't kidnap him, even though I know you're going to want to. Well, you know, sometimes plans change, don't they? So, imagine that. We imagine that the realization we got Nicolas Cage in our boot, and like, where do we go from there? That's a really good movie, actually. Like a pitch for a movie. <laughs> Two blokes accidentally kidnap Nicolas Cage. You say accidentally, Nicolas Cage. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying that. Yeah, when when the FBI inevitably listen to this episode after he's gone missing, and we both get knocks at our door. Um, we're both gonna have some, both gonna have some explaining to do. Well, mate, I'm not only gonna have that on my case. I'm gonna have ITV because I've admitted that I fucking frauded Judge Rinder. You're looking at hard time, man. You know, you and Rick Santoro, you were two peas in a pod. Yeah. That's oh, all I'm mate. saying. I mean, I'd be like Rick Santoro in the sense that. Um, how he reacted when he saw the box, so he was like, "Go, Tyler, go, Tyler, go!" I'd be like. Fuck yes, dead cage. And I'd just be screaming at him like that with a, a leather coat on that I've well worn, especially uh, for the occasion. You will be taking bribes and payouts. I can see it now. Oh, yeah, of course. 
I mean, I was I was going to ask you about the bribes actually, because obviously at the end when uh, Santoro figures out that Kevin Dunn is behind the whole thing, um, he's, he offers him he, he he bumps him up. He's like a million dollars, and this all just you goes away. Cage stuck when he said a million crowns. He was shaking like a raging alcoholic. He was just like <laughs> he liked the sound of that. He, he wanted to take it. Uh, you there can tell. Part of him that wanted to take it. You can tell that he wanted to take it, and I think because he he sees the bloody money on the ground that he's been carrying around all film, which is probably the most obvious metaphor that's in Snake Eyes. Um, I was wondering, you know, if that was you in that situation, Danny Santoro, faced with your best friend being a terrorist, he's offered you a million. What would you do in that situation? Oh, fuck me, you put me on the spot. Uh, million pounds is a lot of money. Um, I mean, the only other way you're going to get that kind of money is who wants to be a millionaire or the million pound drop. Yeah, um, yeah. I don't know. It was, I, I, yeah. I'd have to think about it. I would say, look, mate, let me let me sleep on it. You know, I wouldn't <laughs> want to make a decision right there. But this geezer weren't fucking about. It. He got a silencer out. Like he loves his silencer, that bloke, and he got it out before Cage had a good time to think about it. So you'd be like, okay, I appreciate you're a terrorist and you've got places to be. I also appreciate there are 14,000 people locked in this stadium with us. I'm just going to need a few hours kip just to sleep this one over. Of course, man. You, you can't make big decisions in life without having a sleep first. Everybody knows that. <laughs> it, well, it was brutal, though, when he, when he found out that he was the bad guy and he just turns around to him and he's just like, but you're my best friend. And then he goes... I would have done anything for you. That was that was heart heart wrenching stuff, man. That got me. I've got to admit. Well, when he gets that reveal, and Santoro is basically told, you know, you're a sucker. I needed a cop to back up my story. I knew that you'd take a payout. Um, he was just treated like an absolute piece of common house trash. And you can mm. see, you can pinpoint the moment where Cage's heart breaks. I and heard they, it. I heard it shatter. <laughs> Glass heart, a million pieces. But even then, he doesn't want to believe it. He gets, um, I think it's Julia, who was sort of had to wear. Um, she's also in a disguise. She's in like this, like white suit and this white wig, so that she can get close to the the Secretary of Defense. I'm not sure why it is that she had to wear the wig. Because from the way he talks to her, he wouldn't have known who it was anyway when she gave him the, the ballistics report to basically explain, basically, the rockets don't work. They're all being falsified. Um, you need to pull the plug on this. And she wears a wig. Doesn't seem to be any reason for it. She's got everything to break and then, and you know, everything to make, everything to lose on this. Cage is very angry that she's inconvenienced him by telling him what this whole plot is. He straight tells her to her face, he's like, I don't believe you. You've made my life very bad and very hard by telling me this. Why don't you just leave yeah, me alone? I don't want to do this. He's like, I do not want to do this. It wasn't, he, I've never, I don't know if I've ever seen a cop less interested in making like the bust of the century. He was not interested, not game, at all he didn't want to know what his friend was up to he was very happy to look the other way and then the second he gets a million dollars offered it's like uh nah you're all right chickened out mm. yeah thinking back that fuck sleeping on it i would have took the million quid <laughs> you know sometimes i do my best thinking when i've got a silencer to my head as well but yeah i mean I mean, I suppose having a silence on you, you don't know what it's like until you actually have it. Do you know what I mean? You can you can talk all the talk like, yeah, you know, I'd act this way, but until someone's got that fucking silence little bastard on you, you don't know how you're going to act. Well, that's it. How many of us can truly say that we have been at the heart of a conspiracy theory involving terrorism, boxers and the Navy and the uh, American missile launch system in a in a, a plot with a Palestinian terrorist. 
I've not been there yet, but I'm hoping to tick that one off before I before I turn 30 next year. What was that rolling ball about? There's a fucking great big metal rolling ball in the wind. I mean, like, how did that make the switch? <laughs> right, so, so that obviously, this is all taking place in this stadium whilst there's basically a giant hurricane going on outside, hurricane cage. Um, and then you've got this weather basically just... It seems to be slowly ripping apart parts of the building. I think that giant dome uh, was some kind of statue, some kind of giant metal ornament that they'd built. So it, it made me think that when they had this confrontation at the end, that when Santoro and Julia are together and they are confronted by Dunn, that this ball was just going to get blown by the wind and just absolutely take them all out. But it didn't happen. It just kind of wobbled about a bit. Um, but apparently at the ending, uh, from what I read, there's, they cut a lot of it out. So they were supposed to um, make a lot more about the weather being a thing, but they kind of just had it as some background. Um, like a, a police van was supposed to take get taken out by this like a crashing wave that was coming in here. Um, I think Santoro was supposed to have some issues with with the ocean at some point because um, he make he makes a comment at the end that he's still dreaming about drowning or something um, but all that happens is Santora tips off the cops uh, they confront Dunn at the end and when he sees himself on TV he just shoots himself through the heart with a, with a, a, a tiny little and a, that's a good point about him shooting, who the fuck commits suicide by shooting themselves through the heart? You go for the fucking head. Do you know what I mean? It's a bit risky, the heart. Like, what do you miss when you just hit your fucking lung? That's going to hurt like a cunt. Well, then not only would he have tried to kill himself, he would have looked like an absolute loser on national television. So he, would, <laughs> he would have been bleeding out and embarrassed. The worst way yeah. to go. I couldn't believe... I mean, fair play to the geezer. He pulled it off. He was dead. But, <laughs> you know, any anyone out there, you know, like, oh, no, I'm not going to say anyone. <laughs> My point is, yeah, if I was going to kill myself and I had a gun, I ain't going to shoot myself in the fucking foot or the chest. I'm going to go straight in between the eyes. Bang. I mean... That's a true point. If you if you're gonna shoot yourself because you're surrounded by cops and the national media, then if you're gonna go out, then you know let's uh, let's not mess with the classics, you know. Mm. Um, but just reading about it now on IMDb, um, it was like a big special effects sequence. There was a supposed to be a tidal wave going through the casino. It's going to be like this big, uh, like almost natural disaster kind of thing. Then they just decided to cut it out in post production but then leave references to it throughout the film of the tidal wave. Um, like I said, the ambulance was supposed to get taken out by the wave. Uh, Nicholas Cage's character talks about drowning. There are references to the storm made throughout the film. They're supposed to build up to this big climax, um, all this talk of the weather, and they just, just didn't do it. Didn't do it. So if that's not oh. a cop-out, if that's not the film giving us the audience snake eyes, then I don't know why it is. Yeah, nah, disappointing. Disappointing. Very disappointing. Um, so, I mean, as as Nick Cage says, you know, there's, there's no we, you've got snake eyes, and then he just snake eyes himself in the chest. Um, obviously, that being one of the big quotes. The other quote, and this is um, going back to Mysterious Beautiful Redhead from earlier in the film, this is when um, uh, Santoro and Dunn are talking and Dunn is explaining, um, again, so before we know that he's the ringleader, the mastermind, he's explaining, like, oh, I know, I pulled rank to get this job. I've, I've left my post. Now the Secretary of Defence is dead. This is going to be my ass on a platter that's handed over. I'm going to lose my job. And, uh, and then Nicolas Cage says, and I quote, that was the plan, to give you a boner and congratulations, you got one. To give you a boner, did you just say? Yeah, that's uh, that's what Rick Santoro said uh, to Kevin Dunn. How come I missed that? I don't know, Danny. 
I don't know. But now there's another minute of this film that you need to go back and watch. Um, I mean, I wrote that. It's about in the middle of the film, so it's it's just before they revealed that Kevin Dunn is the um, is the uh, sort of the main guy. Uh, Santorum okay, so and Dunn. I didn't mean to give you a boner. <laughs> it wasn't it wasn't like Santoro giving him a boner. Um, so Kevin Dunn is speaking about the redhead, and obviously he's explaining that. Well, I followed her because she looked a little bit out of place. I wanted to see if she had a ticket. Something just felt a bit off. Um, and obviously, when we get that flashback we were talking about, where he just shoots through the corner and he's just eyeing up her breasts. Um, he's in that room with Santoro, and he's just saying, "Basically, I fucked up. I can't believe that I did it." So at this point, they figure out that there's four people in the conspiracy. Um, Santoro's like, "Well, the redhead's part of the conspiracy, and her plan was to intentionally distract you, and that part of the plan worked." And as he says, that was the plan to give you a boner. Congratulations, you got one. So. She was um she seduced him with her mysterious charms and popped his little hog in all sorts of directions. It was at full mast. So Okay. Well I will definitely go back and uh check that out. Or maybe I won't. I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> I like the idea that you know you've already sat through this film once and now you're gonna go downstairs after this, just sit next to your your, your other half and then just be like I need to rewatch Snake Eyes um, for two reasons. One, I need to see a man spin when he gets shot. And two, I need to see Nicolas Cage talk about a boner. Yeah, she 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 will expect nothing less from me. I, 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 <laughs> I, you know, this is the sort of shit I do all the time, so it's all good. Well, I mean, you know, obviously speaking of boners, I suppose you get you seem to get sent sex toys a lot, which is. Um, which seems to be like your your new new reviewing angle. Yeah, well, I'll uh, I'll get in a uh, alternative butt plug mystery box coming soon. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, f- I feel you know there are a lot of companies that send out mystery boxes. Obviously, the whole point of them is it's a mystery. You don't know what you're going to get. Um, an alternative butt plug mystery box. Well, I feel like I need to know more. Well, this company, you know, they offer butt plugs for the person that's bored of your average butt plug. Now, I any old butt plug is a big deal to me. It's a butt plug, you know, <laughs> fucking, you know, that's that's a new thing for me. But these these butt plugs are for people that have, you know, tested the water a bit and they're bored of the average butt plug and they want something else. So this company, it's going to be the weird and wonderful butt plugs, and there's a box full of all these butt plugs. I have no idea what they are, and they want me to unbox them and talk about them. <laughs> this, this is my life now, Daryl. <laughs> so, you know, these these are the things that happen to us. You know, I've committed to Nicolas Cage films. Danny is committed to reviewing mystery butt plugs from uh, various internet providers. And this is... Yeah. This is the joy, um, I, I say, of, uh, of Cage Senpai. He brings all sorts from all walks of lives together. And this is where we end up discussing his work and how it affects our lives. You know, here we are on a Cage podcast talking about butt plugs, talking about boners, talking about Bargain Hunt and Judge Rinder and Snake Eyes. Just like Cage, who is a method actor, he's invented his own style of acting called Nouveau Shamanic. This is what this podcast does. It just goes to it goes to areas that others dare not even think about because they don't have the stones. They don't have the intestinal fortitude. And I'm going to call it, that is why this is the bad boy of Nicolas Cage podcasts. I said it. I said what I said. And, I, and I'll take one of those butt plugs off your hand. <laughs> well, mate, give me, send me your address after this. Uh, I'll send you one of these butt plugs, mate. As long as you promise <laughs> to enjoy it and, you know, don't let it go to waste. <laughs> I've got, well, um, excuse the pun, but I've got a lot to cram in before I hit 30. Um, <laughs> so looking at the uh, <laughs> the uh, end of the film, uh, now that Kevin Dunn has been, uh, well, he's offed himself, 
Rick Santora gets a, a very brief moment, his five minutes of fame, special commendation for making the cop of the century, but then all of his um his dodgy dealings um come to light, becomes a controversial figure, uh, and then he ends up um soon to be going to prison. But he gets a little bit of happy news, even though he's lost his family. Uh, you know, ironically, as Kevin Dunn said he would if he didn't agree with him everything's gone to shit just the way he said it would. He says to Julia that maybe, just maybe, now that Air Guard has gone down with her testimony, she'll give him a call in 12 to 18 months. So, And then he sort of finishes the film by saying, what the hell? Uh, at least I got seen on TV. At least I was on TV. So um, with the end of the film, you know, a bit of a mixed message. Santora's going down. How, how did you feel about his arc uh, by the time the credits were rolling? Oh, mate, like I said, six out of ten, I was flat. It, 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 just, it just fucked me off, this film, if I'm honest. Uh, it's just a bit like where, you know, she turns to him all of a sudden. I didn't know there was a romantic thing going on. There was no indication there was romance blossoming. And then next thing I know, she's basically sucking him off. How did it get How did There was no... <laughs> um we get to that? I mean, to be fair, it's it, it, it's a fair point. Obviously, Julia's being pursued throughout the film because she's the uh, the whistleblower on the air guard missile. She's the only person who knows that it doesn't work. It's a massive scam. Uh, they're trying to push this through, and it's not going to save any lives. It's going to cause more damage um, than it's going to solve. Um, obviously, their paths seem to cross accidentally because there's the scene where both Rick and Kevin are trying to chase her down through the casino, but uh, Rick Santora gets to her first. Uh, we keep seeing the film like, through her first-person perspective as well, and they make a big thing, well, they try to make a big thing of her sort of not wearing glasses, because every time we see through her perspective, it's all blurred. I will say, though, um, as a glasses wearer myself, this is probably one of the most accurate representations of how it is to be short-sighted that I've ever seen. So it gets a point from me for that. But then the, the glasses don't really come into it. It's only mentioned when Cage is just shouting at her, saying, you can't be sure what you saw. You can't be sure. She's like, uh, oh, yeah, to be fair, no. No, I can't. Um, and then she just spends sort of the last bit of the film just being locked in a little container whilst Cage is getting absolutely pummeled to shit by a professional boxer. Um, but no, you're right. There's no, no hint of romance. Yeah, there was no hint of romance. There was like, you know, it seemed like, yeah. Then the next thing I know, bang, they're, they're in love. And it's like, well, that was fucking shit. Um, <laughs> what I must say is, like, when Cage, he, you know, he got, the, he got the shit kicked out of him. I found it funny when he was trying to speak at the end. And he, he like, says some line, like, reckon you got fucking snake. <laughs> like, it sounded like he'd been at the dentist. <laughs> I mean, when you have that to be fair. in your tooth to numb yourself. <laughs> I mean, I would, I would love to see you just try and reenact some of Cage's greatest lines like that. Um, oh, I'd love to, mate. <laughs> maybe we, maybe we should meet up, man, and do some Cage-related YouTube content. Um, try and try and reenact some of his greatest moments or some shit. That'd be all right. I mean, you had me at, at, at going to see where he lives. You've you've already oh, grabbed you've grabbed me by the ghoulies here, and I can't I cannot say no to that. I will not say no to that. Let's do it. Um, that's we basically we need. I'll find someone to drive us, or or if you find someone to drive us, I know roughly where his house is, so I can point you it. We'll go find it, and we'll just fucking camp outside his house for a few weeks. <laughs> a few weeks. We'll we'll go cage sightseeing. We'll recreate some of his greatest scenes. And if that's not a YouTube smash, then I officially retire from the business because <laughs> I'm so invested. This will be guaranteed 300 views, mate. Guaranteed. <laughs> well, then 300 of those coming from me, but I'm sold. <laughs> I, don't, I don't need to sign any contract to do that. Um, but what, what I notice as well, like at the end of the film... Um, Initially, like I didn't pick up on this straight away until I rewatched it, but the credits started rolling, and then for five minutes we just watched builders doing their job. Yeah, Sastra, she said, "Are you going to turn this shit off?" 
And I was like, oh, it's still fucking going. I was on my phone on Facebook, wasn't I? It was just, it went on forever, didn't it? <laughs> like, I mean, I was watching thinking like, well, why is it just not, not faded to black? Why, why am I now watching builders do their job? Apparently... Luckily a fucking snake jumps across the screen. Is that what happens? Well, what happens is one of the builders turns around, it's a snake, he winks at camera, and then it fades to black. Um, <laughs> apparently, like, what I read actually happens is, and I, I think I missed this, so I had to go back and rewatch it. Um, the redhead had like a ruby ring, and apparently that was embedded in one of the pillars that they were fixing up. Um, so I think, for one, you're supposed to have paid attention to of all the apparel that um, the mysterious redhead was wearing, and then it's maybe some kind of metaphor that's crime builds stuff crime pays i don't really know i don't really know if there were many metaphors or messages in this like bloody money's not good uh snake eyes sometimes the house always wins um i don't know did you did you take away any messages or life lessons <laughs> from this film no man i was on facebook uh... <laughs> Yeah, that was, that was a lot. Like I said, man, I thought the film was shit. Like, I know I've said it, but to me, I, I enjoyed watching it because it was shit. Like, I, I found the bits that were shit good because they were shit. But I wouldn't recommend this to anyone. Uh, so, so, yeah, sorry, Nicolas Cage, if you're watching. I assume he watches your podcast. Obviously. Yeah, so so you know, if I bump into you in the high street, mate, next week, I'm sorry. You probably got better films than this, but this was utter gash. Uh, <laughs> I mean, if if you think okay. this is bad, then have I got some recommendations for you? Um, but I see that I was a bit surprised that they did the reveal so soon. I thought there's going to be, you know, the snake masks comes off at the end. Oh, it was Kevin all along. Um, apparently the director said they revealed it so soon because it's not the mystery about who did it, it's the mystery about the relationship between Santoro and Dunn and finding out how um, it affects their relationship because he feels like those procedural movies where you have the mystery built up and up and up and then the reveal at the end he felt that was kind of boring but when this says it's a mystery about a relationship and how it affects people I would like to think that in at least nine out of 10 circumstances, if you found out your best mate was a terrorist, that probably would affect your relationship a little bit. Yeah, a little bit, I suppose. <laughs> uh, I mean, so, if you're so offering a million dollars, mate. though. Yeah, yeah, a million pounds isn't always nice. Um, they were best friends then, yeah? Because I thought it was just, like, he knew a cop. I, like, yeah, I, what, they went to school together when they were kids, that sort of shit, or what? Um, it tells us that they're best friends. We don't. I don't know if we get much of their backstory or relationship at the end of it. Um, just now, at some point, Cage became a cop. He went a bit corrupt. He might want to be the mayor of Atlantic City. Uh, Kevin Dunn, he got some nice little pins and badges on his jacket, and he walks around with his swinging dick. Yeah, that sums it up nicely, yeah. I mean, I read as well that apparently... Um, so we've got uh, Gary Sinus, who played Kevin Dunn, who would go on to be in one of the many, many CSIs that we get on TV. Apparently his role, they offered it to Al Pacino. He turned it down. They also offered it to Will Smith, but Will Smith wanted $12 million, and Paramount basically told him to get fucked. They were not going to give him $12 million. Oh, so do you, do, you th do you wonder that Will Smith maybe would have saved the film for you? No, it was it was it was destined to be a pile of shit. I think you know, fucking it could have had it could have had the biggest A list cast, but that script was fucked from day one, in my opinion. <laughs> uh, well, ultimately, not enough snakes. I think we can. Uh, not enough snakes. I think we could all agree. Too many eyes, not enough snakes. That's the way. <laughs> 14,000 eyes, none of them were snakes. Pile of garbage, yeah. 6 out of 10 from Danny Hyde. To be honest, mate, to be honest, 6 out of 10 is probably a bit too generous. I, I, I've been watching a lot of Come Dine with me 
I've been watching a lot of Calm Dine with me recently, and even when they hate the meal, they still give it a six out of ten. I guess that's what I'm doing. But realistically, I'll give that a two out of ten. <laughs> so basically, you're giving it a tactical Calm Dine with me six out of ten because you still would have <laughs> win that two grand at the end of the week. Exactly. I want a million pounds. That's what I want. <laughs> well, then you're like, what, dear Lord, what a sad little life, Rick Santoro. I'm sorry, Daryl. I've got this fucking pain in my finger. I've just noticed it, and I've and I've just realised I'm not even on camera now, am I? So I'm looking at you, and you ain't looking at me. Or am I on camera? Uh, you haven't been on camera this entire time. I've just been looking at a word that says Danny, but that's absolutely fine. That's I'm absolutely... really sorry, man. I'm looking at your beautiful face. <laughs> um, I just realised that it says no camera. Um, because I'm sitting here, I've just realised I've got this fucking thing on my finger, and it's kind of good that I'm not on camera because. It's pretty gammy, so um, yeah. So, <laughs> gammy film, gammy finger, not enough snakes. Tactical six out of ten from Danny Hyde, um, and I think, I think two that says a tactical six, but realistically a two because you still want that two yes. grand. Um, exactly, yeah. I mean, you know, I respect it. I respect your opinion. And I suppose ultimately my final question is, um, taking into account to your memory, you've only seen The Rock and now you've seen Snake Eyes. Um, has this film done anything for you, if we look purely at Cage's performance, has this film done anything for you to uh, perhaps turn your opinion on Nicolas Cage? I may slap him around the chops when I see him in the street. That's what it's done for me, for, for putting me through that. Uh, so yeah, I mean, he's got he's got a lot to do to win me round, though. Understood. Well, I'll I'll send you a short list of some of his um his top films to give you a good okay. sense of the man, and then you know we'll discuss again sometime and see where we stand from there. But ultimately, that brings us to the end of this episode, covering Snake Eyes. Uh, Danny Hyde. Obviously, I want to thank you once again. Taking the time out of your schedule of reviewing butt plugs to come uh, to come oh, and mate. join me on the podcast. I'm up to my eyeballs in butt plugs, man. It was nice to get away, you know. Well, we all need that sweet release every now and then. And for me, that's Nicolas Cage. And I hope someday he can be that release for you as well. Um, obviously, Maybe please... one day, mate. <laughs> uh, obviously, to all listening, please go and check out Danny High TV on youtube uh, fantastic channel and if sex toy reviews and a man wearing a condom suit are up your alley then you're going to be absolutely thrilled with all the content there and still to come thank you for listening if you have been hope to see you in the next one keep on keep on caging that's all you have to do take care bye-bye